Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Morgan Holub and Joe Isaac, co-founders of Glasgow's Pink Peacock Cafe, a queer cafe, Yiddish-speaking kosher cafe operated by Jewish self-described anarchists. Welcome to you both. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having us. Hi, thank you. Um, thanks. We're talking from the rural outpost that is my remote office here in western Massachusetts all the way to the city of Glasgow, so it's very exciting to have you on the line. All the way to our bedroom in Glasgow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, but I'm drinking coffee, and hopefully you've already had a, a few cups before started. <laughs> um, so I recently read about your cafe, and mm-hmm. as did many of my colleagues at the Yiddish Book Center, and we posted it on social media, and we're very eager to talk to you about the cafe, your connection to Yiddish, and all the rest of it. So let's start by asking if each of you would speak a little bit about what your connection is to Yiddish, and what drew you to the idea of opening the cafe. And I guess... Mm-hmm. Before you get started, I should say that the cafe as a physical space is not currently open, but anticipating to open it soon, correct? Yes, yes, that's okay. right. Um, we are hoping to open sometime between the Jewish and Goyish New Year's, if everything goes smoothly. Um, Which we hope it will, <laughs> yes. And that would be opening as a physical space, but with big COVID um, safety yeah. caveats caveats yeah exactly <laughs> uh, but i think you can talk, probably talk on the yiddish connection because so, you, you were came to that first so um i've been studying yiddish for i you should say like this is me should speak oh yes oh. yes sorry this is <laughs> yeah, this is this you. is morgan no um i've been studying yiddish for about two years and oh gosh it's going to be three years in december um, I think I guess I came to Yiddish because some of my friends were studying it, and I was just really excited by the idea of learning my ancestral language and doing some de-assimilation in that way. I'd been getting more involved with Jewish things uh, anyway, and like learning, you know, I'm kind of the keeper of my own family history because I'm the most interested in it. So it was... <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it's, I think, learning Yiddish, but I mean, more than learning Yiddish, but centering Yiddish in our cafe is something we've been interested in from the beginning, because we think that that in itself is like a, an act of anti-fascism and de-assimilation um, in a time where fascism is rising across the whole, you know, not just the Anglosphere, but like Western Europe as well, Eastern Europe as well, Um being really loudly you know, Jewish and in a way that is not so palatable to Goyim is <laughs> feels really important, right? Like uh-huh. to, to center our own language. Um, yeah. And then Yiddish makes the most sense for us uh, with that as in us personally. Uh, but we're very much also in solidarity with other mm. people who, who are learning other Jewish ancestral languages. But, and um, yeah. yeah, which feels important to, to say. The other thing is that Yiddish is, because Yiddish worlds, like um, sort of academic Yiddish world, is so under-resourced, uh, it's really difficult to learn Yiddish if you don't have access to classes, which mostly requires money. So we wanted to make a space that mm-hmm. gives people a, a place to practice their Yiddish and to see Yiddish around them. And we'll have dictionaries and you know other resources like this, mm-hmm. and hopefully we'll run classes too. Uh, that will all be pay what you can. Um, everything in our cafes pay what you can, down to zero for people who need it. Mm-hmm. 
Great. And uh, Joe, anything to add to that in terms of your engagement with Yiddish? Um, I, I, can, I can echo a couple of things that Misha said. Um, I, I, I've, I'm, I'm much, um, I've, I've come to Yiddish to, to, to learn Yiddish myself much, much more recently. Um, you, you've been yelling it for, for over two years now, and then um, Misha's been teaching us Yiddish for about seven months now. Mm. Um, so I am still much, much newer to it, but I find it much easier just because of um, we live together. And so hearing Misha learning Yiddish and uh, putting up little flashcards all over the house and um, and and uh, we, we we got a dog together and we um we taught the dog all of all of all of their commands in in Yiddish and so like it's it's been nice having that familiarity with the language that you're learning, um, but sim- similar similarly a similar relationship um I, I was quite quite from quite an assimilated uh, family like my 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 immediate family wouldn't really consider themselves Jewish at all, um and so Yiddish was a is a really it it feels like a very natural way for for, for myself to to uh to create a uh a tie with with my jewishness um and it's it's just been lovely as well it's been it's been a nice kind of like thing for us to do as, as a relationship building <laughs> exercise as well quite <laughs> well personally. like languages are <laughs> social right so exactly yeah yeah i think i want to just another important thing to note is that we're not we're as as should be obvious now is we're not native speakers and we're not fluent. Mm, yeah. So we get we post a lot of content online in Yiddish. We try to do almost all of our like tweets and Facebook posts and that is in Yiddish and English. Um, but we make plenty of mistakes and we're always like super happy to be corrected. And mm. we think that this is like the the relationship that a lot of us have to Yiddish is is well people are afraid of making mistakes when they're mm. learning languages right but i think that that's even heightened with yiddish because there's such a fear of it being um lost after the losses that we have suffered in the you know the, in the post show context and there's a fear of it being corrupted by english because um most yiddish stuff is sort of operating under the hegemony of english mm. so as a result, English-speaking Yiddish learners, um, in in our experience, are like afraid of um, like have they don't we don't really have that many forums in order to to practice and to to fall. Mm. So we're and and we've we've faced some criticism from other people that like we don't our Yiddish isn't good enough to be doing this. Yeah, um, but we feel like well. We're sorry you feel that way. It's definitely a starting point, and we'll have to um, confab off uh, off of this uh, re- yeah, interview or conversation, um, and I can maybe help introduce you to some of what we've got at the Yiddish Book Center, which may speak mm. to some of the issues you're raising. We certainly, you know, we've just come out with a 840-plus um, page textbook, which um, is built around the idea of the communicative approach to Yiddish language learning, which, oh. uh, no pun intended, speaks <laughs> a little bit to what you're trying to uh, mm. um, foster at the cafe in terms of engagement. And, and certainly speaking it uh, is one way of learning your, the you know sort of ins and outs of it. Um, and it's a language with a lot of uh, history, richness, and um, different kinds of words uh, in terms of the, yeah, expressing oneself. Um, uh, curious how the two of you met and uh, sort of burst this idea about the venture. 
It's like it's our baby. Um, baby. Yeah, um, oh, but is. we met. <laughs> we met through um, through queer community. Actually, um, we. I was living in Edinburgh, and I mean, qu- queer community circles just like it's just a big extended Venn diagram, right? Like everyone knows everyone through one degree of separation. And so I was dating someone who was, who was my who pal, was, who was your pal, and then um, and then through that. I was miserable living in Edinburgh because I'm, um, I was quite poor and Edinburgh is a very expensive city to live in. Um, and, um, I'm, I moved over to Glasgow and I, we, we were, we were friends at that point and Joe was actually meant to just like, <laughs> I get, I was like, Oh, come live, come live with me while you find your own yeah. flat. And then it was like, no, actually don't This leave. is lovely. Um, just stay. <laughs> and that coincided in terms of Jewish stuff that coincided nicely with, um the you you were just getting into um you were just starting up with the formation of iron jew which is a jewish anarchist group in across scotland um and so i was exposed to this um much more appealing kind of jewish community that i hadn't seen before um that very much um maybe want to be a part of my jewishness much more um and then how long did it take us before we decided to do the cafe? Before we started the cafe? Um, oh, blimey. Well, I think that, that came across a, b- a bit more from, um, similarly through a queer connection of, there's a queer bookshop in our local yeah. area called Category Is, um, which, which opened up similarly to about the same time that I moved here, about two, mm. two and a half years ago, um, two years ago, actually. Um, yeah. uh, and that very much proved the existence of a queer community in in govan hill which is which is the south of glasgow where we live um and um it was inspiring to see mm. that like a queer business could open and focus unapologetically on the queer stuff and it was like yeah if you're not queer and you want to come like you're welcome but it's not really for you mm. and and that worked and that inspired us that we should yeah not only um can that kind of venture succeed Mm -hmm. but there is a huge community need for it in our area there's like hardly any queer spaces in glasgow that aren't um that are open like late and that aren't focused on alcohol so that's another thing about the cafes it's going to be open Mm -hmm. late and it's going to be alcohol free we're often we're often met with uh a response of confusion as to the amount of things that the cafe is but they're all it's all things that our, our whole angle really has just been like our whole, our whole inspiration has just been f- fulfilling certain community needs, um, which, which essentially, uh, which is why it's, it's, it's a queer Yiddish anarchist, dry, uh, late night, late night vegan, vegan, kosher, kosher, halal, pay what you can cafe, which is a lot of, it's a lot of words. Um, but it, it, it's essentially each one of those things is it's a community need that we've noticed there's a gap for and that we've noticed that, that like you don't have to, f- ha- you don't have to have every one of those needs to come to the space and to get mm. use out of it. But these are underserved community needs mm. and we, and, and we, when we, we as individuals feel the needs ourselves and also recognize the community around us that would benefit from, from having those needs fulfilled. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's and, interesting. It, it sounds like it's a, um, you know, where you follow a thread and it takes you to the cafe mm-hmm. because the cafe does act as, oh, for lack of a better word, the umbrella under which you can, um, provide a space for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I wonder, um, if you thought if there was a model for the cafe, because it's interesting that um, coffee houses 
have long been a space for Yiddish writers um, mm-hmm. from you know the 19th century on. There's spaces in cities around the globe that um, allowed for Yiddish culture for meeting um, newly arrived writers would seek them out to find others um, who were engaged in aspects of Yiddish culture. Um, those who lived in these cities around the world um, also were frequent uh, visitors. It was just, again, it, it, it created a space for a lot of different options. Um, and I wondered if you considered this or if you you know, had a model for this cafe or it just was the result of your wanting to explore all of these different ideas and then, aha, a cafe. <laughs> I think our, I mean, our, our main motivator is feeding people because we've just sort of decided that like the social justice work that we want to focus on is food justice um, and everything else to that really is secondary. But as an American, like I've always been so seduced by the idea of the European coffee house. It's always been extremely <laughs> appealing to me. Uh, it was one of the reasons I moved sweet to the UK. <laughs> and, and then I come and I, I realize it's actually just Starbucks's and Costa's <laughs> and Nest, whatever they're called. What are they called? Nest, uh, what? The other... And Coffee Nero. Coffee Nero, that's it, Coffee Nero. Um, the, which, these are all just horrible giant chains. Uh, so an independent cafe, I think, like, it holds a lot of... Um, romance in it doesn't it a lot of like old old country it, grandeur it also it plays to our strengths as well in that I, I have a background in cooking and, mm. and baking and, and misha has incredibly strong aesthetic tastes that and like and, and is a great host and just like it plays to your kind of your your it plays to both of our capabilities that, that the, the cafe stuff in regards to um the historical context of like I mean, you can speak on that maybe a bit more because it's something that you, you've mentioned as well. It's something we've definitely, like, we've we do take inspiration from this. Um, <clears throat> a lot of our aesthetics are, um, which obviously, like, uh, we could have a long discussion about, like, how, how important our aesthetics or how superficial are they. But um, we like the aesthetics of, like, late, eight, like, 1890 to 1925 kind of, like, Yiddish literature worlds. Um, we find them very, like, cool, and they look really good. And a lot of that mm. just, like, feels like cafe culture that we want to evoke. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well that you mentioned the idea of, like, Yiddishists and, and these, these, like, Yiddish-speaking cafes getting a reputation and then being this 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 drop-in point for Yiddishists, because it's mm. like, we we've been very aware of the scope of the Yiddish world. You, you, you more so than I... Um, and that the, our cafes will essentially kind of, yeah, will, I mean, in a post-coronavirus context, will hopefully serve as that, as that context of, like, having people come in. Being a visit. hub. Yeah, exactly. Be, like, there's, there's no Yiddish institutions in Scotland. I think the only one in the whole UK is in London, and it's very small. Um, and then the next closest thing is Medum in Paris. So, like, that's obviously very mm. far away from people in Scotland. So that's, that was part of it as well. So we want to, we want to be a place where, um, like Scottish Yiddishists can come and practice, but equally we we're focused on online stuff too. And we, even before the Rona, we've wanted to have our things be accessible online for everybody because we want to reach people in all the far flung bits of the diaspora. Is there a current, Yiddish scene in Glasgow, um, and also, can you talk a little bit about the neighborhood and its history? Are there Jewish roots mm. uh, where the where the cafe is located? 
Well, the Jewish roots of, of Governor at Hill are really interesting, and that's something mm. we've um, we've so we've, so this is a, this will lead back into it. Um, um, but there is um, a a shul uh, in Govan Hill called Langside Synagogue that we have been for the past year and a half, maybe a year or so. Um, been trying. It's it's a, it's abandoned, uh, and we've been we've also been. Um, Originally not through the cafe, but we have perhaps sort of, as the cafe talks about this as well, uh, been trying to prevent it from getting torn down and turned into luxury flats because um, it's beautiful and it's and and, and but 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 through, through through that project we've also which is sad and it's you know it's it's hard work and it's been and it's 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 a work in progress as well. Most recently we we, we got people to email to have it classified um, to have it categorized as a listed building which mm. which would protect it from um the very well least, would make yeah. it would make it more difficult to tear down i mean yeah. i think it's worth noting just for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about mm. that this this building is one of the few purpose-built shuls in all of scotland and is like the mm. only example in the whole uk of the particular style of architecture that it is mm. which is like folk art eastern european ashkenazi style it was built in 1926 i believe um it's been empty since at least Mm. 2006 it's in private ownership now and we have reason to believe that they want to turn it into flats so we're trying to prevent that and put it back into community ownership but Mm. that's that's like one sort of sad example of Mm. government hills and as you you can probably hear from what we just said there the 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 slightly the slight silver lining to, to all of this has been that we've had reason to really delve into Govan Hill's Jewish history. Which I think... Well, so Govan Hill is one of, so this is in the south of Glasgow, um, and it's always been, or I think really, yeah, it's always been an immigrant community, and it, it remains like it's the most ethnically diverse neighborhood in all of Scotland, um, which is a low bar to be fair. Scotland is a very, very white, homogenous place, but Govan Hill is home to many, many migrants and like hundreds of languages um it's only about like it's Mm. less than two square miles it's quite a small area um and it is host it was home to uh the immigrant jewish community from the around the 1920s so before that like the the sort of previous wave of jewish immigrants lived in um what sorry just move your phone so it's not vibrating you hold it uh, the previous wave of Jewish immigrants lived in Garnet Hill, which is in the city center. And that's home to like a really beautiful old Orthodox synagogue as well. Um, and then the Jewish, but Jewish immigrants that came for, yeah, in, in about, I don't know, the 1910s, 1920s, settled in the Gorbals and in Govan Hill. So the Gorbals is just north of Govan Hill. And now, and there was a shul there and it's been torn down since. Um, and now Govan Hill like the Jewish, the Jewish population has moved further south mm. to Newton Mearns, and mm. that has a larger Jewish center than Govan Hill. But Govan Hill is where all of the queer Jews live. Mm-hmm. It's where, and it's where more young Jews live. Um, mm-hmm. And I really feel like there's a resurgent populate Jewish population in the area. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it, it's 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 a, it's a similar cycle to it to lots of other areas that have like scenes like that it's just that it, it well it's affordable it was a for yeah it's it's been mm. affordable it's being gentrified at the moment which is which is unfortunate and we're hoping to combat well we're trying to combat as the cafe as well because it makes us sad uh, that our friends won't be able to live here because it'd be too expensive yeah um 
but it's a it's a similar cycle like yeah it's it's a it's a it's a more affordable area because of just frankly because of racism yeah um, yeah because, because i mean because of white flight basically yeah. there's also a really interesting uh story about um so mm-hmm. when what's he called oswald mosley who was the leader of the like british fascist party mm-hmm. in the like lead up to and and throughout world yeah. war Two, um called the black shirts i believe they were yeah oh. the so the black shirts um had never been popular in glasgow glasgow has a real working class history uh which and an anti-fascist history just aside from aside from the jewish history but when the black shirts tried to come to glasgow to do like um sort of speakers corner rallies outdoor rallies in in queen's park which is which is in our neighborhood uh jewish anti-fascists just just beat beat them up and and (laughs) made them get lost yeah (laughs) and then proud proud moment and (laughs) like you know cops came and tried to chase out the anti-fascists but they they'd already run off and it was everybody was Mm. it was a good time had by all so um (laughs) there's a real there's a really brilliant like Mm. jewish anti-fascist history across the uk but in Glasgow in particular, like it, it's it's just it's just a great city with a working class mm. heart and yeah uh, and and a wonderful Jewish history yeah. Um, so let me ask you then the question we've talked a little bit about the connection to Yiddish um, and and how you imagine weaving that into uh, some of what the cafe is all about or a mm. lot of what the cafe is all about. We've talked about the queer aspect. We've talked about food um, and its background. Let me ask you the anarchist aspect. Um, what, how does that play into all of it, and, and what do you hope uh, for that as uh, part of the cafe? I think the simple answer to that, and we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll give you the, the longer answer as well. Um, <laughs> but the simple answer to it is that um, we're anarchists, and that anarchism is. Um, it's it's just part of the structure of how we've made this space. Um, as in, we've designed it around core tenants like mutual aid, solidarity, and a lack of hierarchy. Um, and we can talk more about, I guess, yeah, what those things mean practically. I, I think like anarchism is a really diverse um, school of political thought in the same way that feminism is, right? Like there's many strands and mm. there's many different uh, opinions, but the sort of core tenets of any any anarchist theory, as as Joe's already said, is yeah, mutual aid, like solidarity rather than charity, mm-hmm. um, non-hierarchical structures, and direct action. Mm, yeah. So, for in terms of the cafe, that means um, we're so in our prices are pay what you can down to zero. But we're doing our very, very best, and this is this is an ever-evolving thing to make sure that that is not done with a sort of charity ethos, right? Because charity is um, charity is patronizing mm. and can be really like degrading and dehumanizing for people who need to access it. So good good work can like there can be a net benefit to some charity charitable actions, but like charity itself is you know what i mean like if, i'm not saying all charity is bad but but, um, but, but, it's... but like but like charity itself is, <laughs> it's 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 a way of um being but like but benefit um word, benevolent benevolent that's a beneficent mm-hmm. that's like maleficent anyway, uh, benevolent within capitalism right like that's yeah yeah, you know yeah. I mean? we're um, trying we're trying i mean the, we're trying to build something that is a, a better 
a, a tiny slice of a better world in a terrible capitalist system. So using the pay what you can system um, means that people can like choose their own price points based on what's uh, accessible to them and what's affordable for them. So right now that the, the way that we've been doing it is um, showing people the break even price and then they can decide if they can pay afford to pay that or if they can afford to pay more or less. Mm-hmm. And that's so far that's worked really well. Mm-hmm. We've, we're not a physical space yet, but we have done some like food parcel deliveries and those have all been pay what you can. And we've always made our costs. We've, we've done, um, how many, I can't remember how many, how many, we've done three of those and that's been, do you have the number of how many people that's, I think we've you? reached over 120 households, mm. um, and something like 140 separate yeah. portions. And, and with, and within those, what's, what's really interesting is like with pay what you can stuff, you can, um, you, you, you uh, we, we've been, we've, I, 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 I speak for myself. I've been quite eager to, to see like how it's going to go because it's scary right to not to not know um but it's, it's it was really lovely doing this those 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 food parcels and just seeing like well not only are we reaching our break-even cost but we so we can't see we have anonymity built into it. i don't know if you mentioned this already but not like uh, we have anonymity built built into the payment so that um so that so that there's no there's just no lack of dignity for anyone right we treat everyone who's picking up their their food the same um and we make sure that 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 everyone feels comfortable with that by 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 being clear that we don't know if you've paid nothing or if you've paid over um uh, so so um but 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 also what what was really what was really um affirming was to see that <clears throat> to see we can we can see the breakdown of of what we have been paid we can't see who's paid what we can see what, what has been paid and we could see that some people did pay like one pound or whatever for mm-hmm. a 10 pound meal and then some people did pay 15 pounds or whatever or or you know way over and some people just donated some people just donated so that the thing could exist like some people we who, could see yeah we could see that we got some yeah. donations from america for instance and obviously they're not picking up food in glasgow so mm. that we that we we've been really really like chuffed at mm. the international solidarity that we've gotten and just knowing that we're reaching people who like, we can see we reach people who need it because mm. there are people who are donating under and we're, yeah, I, I think we jumped into it as like a leap of faith in the public. Just like, will you take advantage of us and just like take our food for free and we won't get any money or will you, or do you value this as a community mm. building like project? And the answer is like, yes, they yeah. do. People, some people are still quite hung up on certain pre-existing models and trying to apply them to us. The, the one that we notice a lot is that people are are really into the idea of paying it forward, um, which is quite funny to us. It's, it's, it, it comes from a nice place, but um, it's it's our our cafe functions in that like the food is free if you need it to be free, um, and so if you want to to if you want to make sure someone can eat for free, you, you can just donate to the cafe's existence. But what people really want and what we've had a couple of requests for has been people being like, I would like to um, buy someone a sandwich, basically. Like a specific meal. Uh, yeah, as, I want as to... though they're like adopting a goat on a goat sanctuary. <laughs> um, which again, it comes from a lovely place, but it's, it's very just, well it's, intended. It's really interesting but... that people struggle to, to detach. To shift their paradigms yeah, about like exactly. what solidarity looks like. Mm. I think, is there anything else you want to say about anarchism? Uh, hierarchy, we could talk about movie. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. So our 
right now it's just the it's formally it's just the two of us um we're going to have a board of directors that sort of acts as oversight to ensure that we're meeting our um like our objectives of being in service of the community Hmm. and that we're not just pocketing lots of money or something but um we're we've decided that in order to operate non-hierarchically if we take on any other workers which we will because we don't want to work on shabbos uh and we we will we'll get somebody who's some people who are happy to do that. That they will have, they will also be on the board of directors, and they will have equal sort of governing power and equal veto power and equal voice as mm. we do. So just because we're founders, does we don't want to be anybody's boss. Mm. Um, we want, and everything will be decided on consensus between all of the workers. So it, it won't technically be a co-op, but it will functionally be like run like a co-op. It will be, yeah. it won't be owned by the workers because we're. A community interest company which means that um it's none of the assets are owned by anybody they're owned in sort of the community owns them is the, the way that mm-hmm. that works so the workers won't own it but because none of us own it but, but everyone will get paid the same and everyone will yeah. have the equal say over the the managing and the, the decision making of the cafe yeah. um, well i i have to say that it is um an ambitious interesting and very uh, well thought through. Um, speaking with you and, and reading about you and looking at your website, I just want to say I think that you both are taking this in a really interesting direction um, and being very mindful. And um, I wish you all the best in in realizing all of this. And I hope that you can open soon between one of the two <laughs> New Years, as you say. Um, in the meantime, uh, keep up the good work. It's great, and would love to check back in with you and and Mm. see how it's going in terms of building community, which I have no doubts you will. Um, I I think you will accomplish the goals that you set out to, and it will be interesting to hear how they play out for you in in realizing this uh, cafe and this space. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been lovely to talk to you. It's been great to talk to you. And we'd love to work with the Yiddish Book Center. We think the the sort of like all the archival work that you do is really, really important. Mm. Um, yeah, I can see a lot of um, options, and I can't wait um, until I can get back on an airplane. Um, this is the cafe. Um, we might have to speak with you about some readings of our work in translation. Uh, there, it, it's a it's a space and a community that um, there's a lot of sort of interplay with it. Um, so again, I look forward to exploring it, and if we can be a resource for getting you some Yiddish books for people to read while they're in the cafe, we'll have to figure out a way to do that. Okay. Great. I mean, I, well, we're, we're, we are hoping to host like lots of different Yiddish events and different yeah. Yiddish speaking and stuff. Like that's 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 in our plan. Um, Absolutely. So thank you very much. It's very sweet of you. Excellent. Well, um, kudos to you. Best of luck. Happy New Year, and stay safe and well. And look forward to connecting with you again soon. Oh, but before I leave, the most important thing: share with listeners how they can learn more. Oh, good, good, uh, good point. Um, we have a website that is mm-hmm. in Yiddish and English, and that is pinkpeacock.top. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram as uh, dhrozevapava, which is in English. Mm-hmm. That's D-I-R-O-Z-E-V-E-P-A-V-E. Uh, it means the pink peacock in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. And we're on Facebook. If you just type in pink peacock Yiddish, you'll find us. And Twitter. You did, you said I Facebook. said Twitter. You said Facebook. Oh, <laughs> and Twitter—that's our favorite one. And Twitter, uh, we're much better on Twitter than yeah. we are on Facebook. So. <laughs> well, 
we all have our different strengths. <laughs> we'll, we'll look for you. We'll look for you on the on the World Wide Web. Um, and again, I hope that I can get a visit there as well as all of our listeners have from around the world. Uh, again, it's the Pink Peacock Cafe. So best of luck and thanks for all you've done so far um, in helping to feed people in these challenging times and for all that you will be doing in the future. Stay well. Schönen Dank, Lisa. Sei gesund. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.